The scripture reading for today is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. Again, that's 1 John. It's in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. Hear now God's word. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together as we come to God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we need your help right now. We ask that you speak to us this morning as we come to your word. Challenge us, comfort us, and build us up in the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grasping true fellowship. Today I want to talk about a fellowship, a friendship, a communion that changes everything. It is fellowship with God. It's an extraordinary claim if you'd be willing to consider it this morning that God desires fellowship with you. Maybe you're a Christian who hears these words and yet they've fallen flat in your experience as of late. Fellowship with God has felt like something that is over-promised and has seemed to somewhat under-deliver. I pray that you taste and touch and grasp true fellowship with God as revealed In this word, today. 
Or maybe you're exploring the Christian faith today from the outside looking in, and maybe you've seen a picture of those who claim to have fellowship with God, but seeing their lives, it was, it was far from satisfying. In fact, it was sickening what you saw. Know this, we're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And I pray that you would likewise taste and touch and grasp true fellowship with God as revealed in this word today. The author of this letter, 1 John, his name being John, was a disciple of Jesus. His fellowship with Jesus was tangible. It was tactile. It was real. It was based off of historical realities, things he heard, things he saw, things he touched with his own hands. John knew and he grasped true fellowship with God. And he says he's passing these things along to the reader that they might know it, that they might grasp it and they might know the joy, as it says in verse 4 of true fellowship with God. So what does true fellowship with God look like? College Church, my aim is simple this morning. I pray that we would grasp that true fellowship with God walks in the light. True fellowship with God walks in the light. And there's two parts to our text this morning, and I'll give you two words to remember them and to follow along. First, it's the message and then the meaning. The message about God in verse 5 helps us understand the meaning for our fellowship with him. In verse 6 through the end of our passage, 2, 2. The message, verse 5, and the meaning, verse 6 through the end. You want to grasp what true fellowship looks like with God this morning? Well, John says, you must first understand the message. And so let's take a look at the message. Look at verse 5 in your Bibles. It reads, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This verse functions as a key verse not just for the rest of our passage, but for the rest of the book, 1 John. It is the, the grounds or the reasoning for what comes later. What is it? It's a declaration of a message that came from him, referring to Jesus. It's, in a sense, a summary of Jesus' words or teaching. And the content of the message, did you catch it? The content is about who God is. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Get this, John is desiring to help clarify and strengthen the fellowship between two parties, God and the early church towards the end of the first century. It's as if John is the middleman seeking to clarify and connect the fellowship between the two. Maybe you've been in a situation where someone is intent on introducing you to someone else. 
They hope maybe, you know, maybe the two of you could be friends, have some sort of relationship, some sort of fellowship. But clearly, the type of fellowship will be determined by who they are. Let me explain. Is this a potential employer? Is this a new friend? Or maybe a potential romantic relationship or a mentor? The type of fellowship is determined by who the parties are. And so I'm guessing that if you've you've been in this situation and you asked your friend to tell you about this person, tell me about this guy that you, you are intent on introducing me to. They have not responded, well, he is light and in him is no darkness at all. Really? Okay. It would be absurd to describe anyone and any of us in that way, but it's the right response to describe God. What's my point? Fellowship with God is different than any other kind of fellowship. Why? Because of who he is. He is light. His being and character is complete holiness and perfection. And in him is no darkness at all. There is no sin, no unrighteousness with God. And so the message about God is the grounds for us to understand the meaning of our unique fellowship with him. Do you see it? What you'll see if you read through 1 John and the characteristic of his writing is something that's called dualism. Dualism. He, he uses two contrasting words to explain and to teach. So, for example, look, there's light and there's darkness. There's life and there's death. There's truth and lies, righteousness and sin. And, and these words are used in relation to one another. So light and life and truth and righteousness, they all relate and are <coughs> connected, excuse me, connected to one another. Likewise, darkness and death And lies and sin are also related and they're connected to one another. And his claim is this absolute claim. God is light. There is no darkness. Think of it like this. You walk into a room, the light switch is either up or down. It's either on or off. That light is either shining or it's not there at all. The two do not coexist. God is light. John is saying. Scripture backs this up. Psalm 92 says, The Lord is upright, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And if you're familiar with the stories of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, when the people of Israel are at Mount Sinai, God tells Moses to set limits around the mountain lest the people get too close and perish because they are an unclean people. God is so holy and perfect in his being and character that his presence is overpowering. Or as one of my friends put it one time, it's radioactive. And so the message about God and who he is, it informs our fellowship with him. Sometimes when I'm driving, I will approach another car that has their brights on. 
The light is so bright, so strong, I, I can't ignore it. I have to at least turn slightly or squint my eyes or block some of it. I can't handle it in an exponentially greater way. God's character and being is so holy and so perfect as sinful humans, in a sense, we can't handle it. Our sin demands some, some barriers or limits to God because of who he is. And so we want to grasp. We want to grasp what true fellowship is. What does it look like? Well, we, we're starting with the message about God, who he is first. For the message that he is light is going to inform what comes in the text, our fellowship with him. So we move from verse 5, the message about God, and take a look at verse 6 through the end, the meaning for our fellowship with him. What does this message mean for our fellowship with God? To put it simply, it means we must deny the claims of a fake fellowship. The context you need to be aware of is that the readers of this letter were plagued by some proclaiming a problematic fake fellowship. They were deceivers and they were causing discouragement among the people and disruption in their midst. And one reason that John is writing is to address this false teaching head on. And you can see it if you turn to chapter 2, verse 26. It says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Chapter 3, verse 7, again, little children, let no one deceive you. That's what's happening. And so look at the structure and the repetition in our text this morning. Three times John says, if we say, verse 6, if we say, verse 8, if we say, verse 10. Three claims of a fake fellowship. And the problem with what was being said was they were downplaying the presence and the problem of sin and the impact it had on fellowship with God. And so what John is doing is he's going to give a fellowship test. He's going to poke holes and sink these false claims. And he starts negatively with the problems of these false claims. And then he responds positively with the privileges of the true claims of fellowship. It's a back and forth. A little bit of double dutch if you've ever jumped rope. Jumping back and forth between the problems and the privileges. I, I want you to see it in the text. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship while we walk in darkness, the problem. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light. Verse 8. The problem. If we say we have no sin. Verse 9. The privilege. If we confess our sins. Verse 10. The problem. If we say we have not sinned. Chapter 2. Verse 1. But if anyone does sin. The privileges. He is sinking fake fellowship that you and I might grasp it, that we might know it, what true fellowship 
is. So take a look at verse 6. Take a look at this first claim. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He is exposing the problem of a fake fellowship that lives hypocritically. The language of walking, it's a, it's a Hebrew idiom that is referring to how one lives, how one acts. So he's addressing those who are, in a sense, they're all talk and no walk. Yeah, they, they proclaim fellowship with God, but they don't practice the truth. And do you see the antithesis to this is verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The hidden hypocrisy of verse 6 is the opposite of the compelling congruence in verse 7. And this congruence, it's not purely external, but the union between what someone confesses and how they live. Our belief and our behavior, our doctrine and our daily living. To put it simply, true fellowship with God walks in the light with a compelling congruence. Friends, do our words match our lives? Look at John's language. He says, if we say, not if they say. This is a word for the church. We're capable, I know it, of a life of hidden hypocrisy. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they walk, let me tell you. Do, are they hurt or are they healthy? Are they exhausted or are they energized? Are they aimlessly walking or are they purposeful in their walking? What's your walk communicating? Is your life marked by a compelling congruence between what you say and how you act? And to my friends who may not be Christians who are joining us this morning, who have been frustrated with the hypocrisy of those who claim to have fellowship with God, we know all too well that there is horrific damage that's been done by those who claim to have fellowship with God but live contrary to it. But hear this. Do you know that you have more in common with God than you might first realize. Do you know that God also hates hypocrisy? In fact, he hates it more than you do, more than we do. Might your problem not be with God, but with the problematic fake fellowship that John is warning against, a life of hidden hypocrisy, he says, is not a mark of true fellowship. And notice verse 7. 
This is surprising. This surprised me this week as I looked at this text. Verse 7 doesn't say that those who walk in the light have fellowship with God. What's it say? It says they have fellowship with one another. You see, there's an intimate connection between fellowship with God and fellowship with one another here. It's when believers are walking in the light, which is connected to being cleansed of sin, living with the compelling congruence, that we have fellowship not only with God, but each other here. And on the flip side, the whole community suffers when we fall into a life of hidden hypocrisy. That's how important this is for our relationships with one another. Fellowship with God is personal, yes, but it is not private. It's communal. It unifies us with one another. What does the message about God being light mean for our fellowship with him? It means we, we have to deny living with a hidden hypocrisy. That's the first claim Fake fellowship. Let's move to the second in verse 8. They continue to build off one another. So take a look. It reads, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We move from a a life of hidden hypocrisy in verse 6 to a life of self-deception in verse 8. Let's clear this up. Entrance into the Christian life And being saved and justified, that means to be declared right with God, does not move us past the ongoing struggle against sin. We are still at war with our sinful natures. We are still working out our sanctification. As Paul says in Romans 7, I do the very thing I hate. Mm, I can resonate. We're still working it out. We can't claim to have no sin as Christians. You say, well, well, pastor, (laughs) I'll be the first one to say I have sin. Well, I would never say I have no sin. I think that's that's a fair point. I will concede that. But aren't we tempted to present ourselves to others in such a way that might indicate this? Our Instagram feeds? How we clean up the clothes that we wear? The happy family smiling on our Christmas cards? Don't we put, we put a lot of stock and how we look in front of other people. I dressed up for you all today, and I can make the argument why I did that. We can talk afterwards. And I'm not saying all those things are necessarily bad or evil, but the danger is to deceive ourselves into thinking we're actually better off than we are. We're sinners. I'm a sinner. I don't tend to get Christmas cards that say, here is a picture of my sinful family. (laughs) And no, I'm I'm not saying to put that on your Christmas card. That's not my point. (laughs) It it makes me think of a a recent, uh, a newer social media 
platform that's called Be Real. I'm with the students, so I got to be in the loop on these things. I'm not on social media, but if I know some of you know Be Real. Come on. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Don't get any response any other part of the sermon. Be Real. People are <laughs> cheering. But what happens is you get a notification at some point during the day just to take a photo. And the goal is to push back against the pretense of other social media platforms. And you can argue about how effective it is. But just take a photo without curating it to the public. Just just be real. Just share yourself. In a way, John is saying, be real. Fake fellowship won't be real. It will succumb to pretense. But college church, let's be real. Fake fellowship deceives oneself through silence on the hard things. True fellowship relieves oneself through sharing the hard things. Fake fellowship ignores sin, but true fellowship identifies sin. Fake fellowship suppresses sin. True fellowship confesses sin. Get this. Our gospel witness is not helped when we hide sin. It is hindered. Friend, are you deceiving yourself with unconfessed sin this morning? I've been in your seat. Let the light shine in every crevice of your heart. Turn the lights on. Confess your sin. Acknowledge it before God. Confess it to one another. Do not wait. Why? Because look at the privilege of true fellowship in verse 9. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is offered to you, to me, today. A clean slate before God. Why? Do you see the reasoning though? Do you see why in the text? It's because the cleansing of sin is not ultimately dependent on the confessor, but on the cleanser. It's dependent on God and his character, not yours. Hallelujah. It's his faithfulness, his fairness, his justice through the work of Christ that we're forgiven. The gospel reminds us that fellowship is grounded in this God-granted forgiveness for the sinner. The preacher Dick Lucas once said this, the Christian life, listen to this, this is great. The Christian life is for weak men who have been awakened to their weakness and at the same time awakened to the strength of their Savior. Any weak men, weak women here? Christian life is for us. We're weak, but our Savior is strong. How does the message about God inform the meaning of our fellowship with him? True fellowship 
walks in the light, not by denying sin, but by confessing it. That brings us to the third claim of fake fellowship in verse 10. ten. It's in a sense that he's summarizing the other two claims and he's reached almost the climax and he says this, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, when we say that we have not sinned, when we, when we reject that truth, we are wrongfully accusing God. How is that the case? Well, God has revealed to us through his word, through Christ, that we are all sinners, every one of us. And to deny the problem of sin is to accuse God of being a liar. For he saw it was a problem. He saw that our sin separated us from him. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And he cannot and will not go against his very nature and being and simply disregard sin. Nor would we want the God of the universe to be hypocritical like us. And so in his faithfulness, in his justice and fairness, he will punish sin. And sin deserves death. Yet the extraordinary reality is that God desires fellowship with you, the sinner. And John tells us in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, what God has done to secure fellowship. And it's not done to excuse sin so that you can just sin all the more. Look at what he says, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, he's pastoral now. He's putting his arm around you. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Hear it. Jesus is the advocate for sinners. He is the helper, the one who stands with sinners. Do you know that the present ministry of Jesus is advocating for you when you bring your sin into the light and confess it? Think about that. He is at the right hand of God, and he says, my blood covers him. My blood covers her. Oh, friends, this morning, remember, you have an advocate with the Father, a helper, someone that stands with you, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's not only listed as an advocate, but do you see it in verse 2? He's described as the propitiation for sins. Big word. One theologian describes propitiation this way. A sacrifice, listen to this, that bears God's wrath to the end. And in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us into favor. Those who acknowledge their need for a Savior and trust in the work of Jesus on their behalf are those who, although they deserve wrath, they're going to be shown favor. Why? Because Jesus, the light of the world, he broke into the darkness 
with the purpose of taking the full weight of God's wrath at the cross. For God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And he is fair and just to punish sin. But God is love. And in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you feel far? Far from fellowship with God? Stuck in sin, isolated from community, from family, from friends? You, yes, even you, You are not out of reach of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus this morning. That means any person. He says he died for the sins of the whole world. That's without distinction, not without exception. Without distinction, any person, no matter how stuck you are, where you've been, how far you are, can be reached by the love of God. Through resting, receiving, and resting what Christ has done. Walk in the light. Confess your sins. Be cleansed by God. It's an extraordinary reality. God desires fellowship with us. It's the message about God and who he is that helps us understand what it means to have fellowship with him. Sin must be addressed. And it's not addressed through a hidden hypocrisy. It's not addressed through a self-deception, lying to ourselves. It's not addressed by wrongfully accusing God. Sin is only and ultimately addressed through Jesus Christ, our advocate and propitiation. Fellowship is secured by Christ. And so we must live as those who walk in the light. Not perfect, but weak Dependent people on Christ making progress. As we own up to the problem of sin that still plagues us today, and yet hold on to the privileges we have found in Christ. I pray that you taste it, that you touch it, that you have grasped it, and hold on to this this week. True fellowship with God walks in the light. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is extraordinary to consider what this text tells us. That you desire fellowship with each one of us. And you have secured that fellowship through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Our advocate, our propitiation. Lord, I pray for the one right now that is burning and struggling and sitting stuck in sin, Lord, by your spirit, give them the strength to walk in the light. Help us to be a people that live with a compelling congruence. Thank you that you walk with weak men and women to show the strength of the Savior. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.